our true identity, which is what we've been up to for the last several weeks. And uh, now we're in chapter 3, so if you've got an outline, the outlines are out on the connections table or the connections counter if you want to grab one of those. We're, I'm just going to run you through um, where we are in regard to the whole thing. I'm going to kind of run you back through where we've been. So our purpose uh, is, and boy, what a time to be talking about revealing our true identity because so many people are confused about their identity in Christ. Some people are confused about their identity, period. Um, and so, uh, as Christians, it's a good time. So our purpose is to reveal Christ's sufficiency, the church's unity, and the Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistle to the Ephesians. The theme uh, is the building of the body of Christ in the image. In, in the image, that's a duplicate. In the image, and up there on the screen, in the image, in the image of uh, and likeness of Christ. But uh, anyway, I don't know how that happened, but. Uh, and then we need the title, of course, is Revealing Our True Identity. You guys know that. So let me just run you through the, the uh, outline. By now, you probably got this down. Uh, Ephesians 1 and 2, this matches the purpose, uh, deals with Christ's deity. We've already talked about that. Uh, now we're looking at Christ's unity, which is in the body of Christ. We're going to jump into that tonight. And then in 5 and 6, we'll look at the duty. But we won't get into any of that tonight. We're, we'll just be focusing on chapter 3 tonight. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you the breakdown of the chapter of Ephesians chapter uh, of how this breaks out. Tonight we're going to bite off the first 12 verses, and this deals with uh, revelation to the body of Christ. And then we're going to, uh, next time I get together with you on Wednesday night, we'll be talking about intercession for the body of Christ. So that's revelation to the body of Christ, intercession for the body of Christ. And then we're going to be looking at, uh, when we get to chapter 4, unity of the body of Christ. And then we'll get into the diversity of the body of gifts to the body of Christ. So, um, uh, revelation, intercession, unity, diversity. And then the last one is responsibility to the members of the body of Christ. So, uh, revelation, intercession, unity, diversity, and responsibility. And then on that last one, just uh, this is such an easy outline. Uh, put off the old man. I put a little fill in the blank there and put on the new man. That's going to be your fill-in-the-blanks for those little ones. So that pretty much gives you the outline of where we're going to be going uh, through this uh, middle segment through when we're talking about the church's unity. Those are the things, the revelation, intercession, unity, diversity, responsibility, dealing with putting off the old man and putting on the new man. All right, any questions? Do I need to stop, drop, and roll? Everything good? Okay, we're moving on. So um, so tonight, um, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here and just do a little introduction for you. But when we think about understanding our true identity, it's, it's predicated on humility. And, why, and I'll tell you why I say that in just a minute. But when, when God of the universe models for us, um, you know, really what uh, our identity is, we can do nothing else but follow um, because we're his seed, right? So we're going to follow the image and the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we truly are his seed, we have to uh, because that's who we are. He's inside of us and he's creating us to be more like him. Uh, if we're born again. And so Paul, he also modeled that. So it, it's no wonder that Paul, if Jesus Christ was humble, it's no wonder Paul was humble. Um, and so before he unloads even more life and uh, eternity-changing information, right, upon uh, these folks and the relationship with Christ. I mean, really, when you look at Ephesians chapter uh, 1 and 2, there's so much blessing and so much, I mean, it's heavy. There's so much that you could just you could swim around in Ephesians 1 and 2 probably, you know, the rest of your Christian life, really. And there's so much in that little bitty packed chapter. And so before Paul moves on in and, and uh, gives them more incredible information, 
Um, he really deals with his relationship with Christ uh, and his body, uh, the church, and he restates his identity. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, For, so it kind of starts off in a weird, you don't usually start off a, a, a paragraph this way, but in a Bible it does because this is what God wants. For this cause. So we're going to go back in a minute and look at the cause. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. All right, so did you catch that? Um, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. In the opening sentence of, of uh, his epistle, when we're dealing with the Godhead and the deity of Christ and his blessing to the body of Christ, he introduced himself differently. You know what he, how did he introduce himself? Anybody remember? It's really easy to find in Ephesians 1 and verse 1. He, the apostle, did somebody say that? I think Andy, Andy did, didn't you? Did you say that? Yeah, she did. She got it. So, right, he's the apostle. Paul, the apostle, right? He doesn't, he doesn't shirk from it. He doesn't hide. He's like, hey, I'm the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who I am, right? So he starts off that way, and then he busts open all this awesome stuff that's blessings to the body. And then Paul goes from the apostle all of a sudden here in chapter 3, and he says, now I'm a prisoner. So he goes from one extreme to the other. Now I'm a prisoner, and he's noting his place in the body of Christ. His authority is that of an apostle, but his place, and his, really his station at this time, is that of, of a prisoner. Uh, and I've long believed, and this is just a, this is an introduction to my introduction, you know, that, that in the leadership paradigm of the world, um, it's this 100, the church is 100 degrees backwards from the world. You think that's true, Tom? I think it is. We don't, you don't have to answer. But I think it is. I mean, it's, it's a free country. You don't have to agree with me either. But the, the way the world looks at leadership is like we always see the pyramid. You ever seen a leadership chart? It's always the dude at the top and everybody out. I, I really think it's like biblically. It's like you take that upside, put it on, upside down. And the leader's at the bottom and everything's resting on him. And, it's the, and, it's, and he's a servant to all. It's a servant model of leadership. And so it's like, well, how can you follow if you're at the bottom of the pyramid? Well, you got to follow Christ. That's the only way to hold it up. You know, it's got to be supernatural. And so the, the world views leadership as those in authority demanding compliance. And, and, uh, or maybe I was in leadership training from Harvard. At, not, I wasn't at Harvard, but it was a dude that was using Harvard Business School's curriculum. So it was a pretty supposedly heady, you know, type of thing. Um, I was sequestered for weeks on end, and we did all this leadership training. And well, it was two weeks. I say weeks on end. It felt like weeks on end. A couple weeks anyway. And uh, and anyway, but at the end of the day, I always was having conflict because it was manipulative. Because when it comes to leadership in the world versus leadership in the Bible, it always boils down to motive. And it's just hard to to, to lead people if there's no real motive other than making a buck. At some point, you're just being inge- disingenuous. I'm like, well, you should really, I would, I, would, I would not argue, but I would put my case forward, which is like, well, you should just be honest with people and tell them you're trying to make a buck because I think they'll respect you more. If, watch, you're manip- at this point, you're manipulating people. But what that was was just the Bible and, and Christ versus the world. And it's just a whole other mindset, you know. And uh, there's all these tricks of the trade in leadership. And then there's Jesus, <laughs> you know. And Jesus is the real deal. There's an authenticity about Jesus and his leadership because he's actually going somewhere. And he really does care. And it really means a lot. And you need to really follow him. Or it's really going to make a big difference. 
It's not, and the, and the justification is he doesn't need us. He still wants us, right? And so there's just all of this character issue that flows out of Christ into the, Paul didn't have to give up his life, but he did give up his life because he wanted to please Christ who gave up his life for Paul. And there's just, the motive does make the difference. And Paul's motives, uh, I obviously were pure, and I pray that our motives are pure. That's what makes us good leaders is our character, right? And, and that is something that the world will often try to point out. But uh, without Christ, you really can't have Christ-like character, can you? So, uh, so the world views leadership in this kind of more of a demanding, compliant way. The Bible reveals a model of servant leadership, and the leader shows or models compliance so others will follow Christ's authority. Biblical leaders are not on top of the pyramid. The pyramid rests upon their example to others. So Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Um, and I don't know if I got, I don't think I got all that, did I? Nope. So this is just extra. Um, be followers of me, even as I am of Christ. In Philippians 13, which you've heard that. In Philippians, there is no Philippians 13, gotcha. Philippians 3, in verse 17, uh, it says, Brethren... Uh, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and this is going to be important. Paul's going to talk about walking in chapter 4 and 5. Uh, many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things, their minds on things of the world. For our conversation is in heaven right? Uh, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things, same thing we're talking about in uh, Ephesians, all things uh, unto himself. So Philippians 3 is very congruent with Ephesians. And, uh, and Paul, like all Christians, can identify um, uh, their spiritual authority and still serve humbly as we have Christ as an example. So it's not, it's not even a problem for Paul to say, hey, I'm the apostle Paul, and then turn around and say, I'm the prisoner of Christ. That's not, that's not a problem in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ and his leadership paradigm. So Paul, um, Paul can do that. And, and if we uh, don't do that, placing the body of Christ ahead of our own liberty and freedom, we misrepresent both our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and we quench the Spirit. And I just said something. I'll say it again. Right? So if we misrepresent both our Father... Well, let me back it up. So if we don't do that, which is, what is that? Putting um, our identity, understanding that the spiritual authority and humility and serving Christ is, is of the utmost. If we don't do that and place the body of Christ ahead of our own liberty... And freedom, we misrepresent both our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and quench the Spirit of God. Now, last week I gave a little clip of Kenny Morgan. That's, in essence, what Kenny Morgan said. How many of you saw the Kenny Morgan clip? Okay, so most of you. If you haven't, it's worth going back and watching it again, because that was just, I mean, that was mic drop, man. That was, that was excellent. That's really what he was doing. He was just saying, you know what, guys? I don't have an excuse. Uh, and again, I just want to put a commercial out. That whole clip, that whole video... Uh, which I have links to somewhere uh, out in the, in the listen page on Ephesians last week's sermon. So you can watch the whole video. There's a link to it on YouTube, which is worth watching because it does address a lot of facets. I just chose that one because that's the time I had, and that was really, really profound. But that's really what he was doing. It's like, I really don't have liberty to do anything but what Jesus calls me to do. I, I can't. I, my skin's not an excuse. 
I just got to I got to do what God wants me to do. Period. And man, that is a, that's so true. It doesn't matter because you're in Christ. You're a new creature. That's that's the issue. And so because Christ uh, Paul's a new creature, he's a, now he's a prisoner. Many Christians say they want to see revival in our land, but fewer will lay aside their personal preference, right? A little alone their liberty for the sake of the body of Christ. Now, notice what Paul's doing here. Now, this is also very important. This is also comforting because I think a lot of times we think, oh, man, if I'm going to really lay down my life, I've got to go out here and be a martyr in India somewhere. That's not really true. Paul was just serving the body of Christ. That's, that's, he found a lot of trouble just serving the body of Christ. That is what advances the kingdom of God to the world. Without the body, it's not a bunch of lone rangers. It's it's serving Christ and His body. When we were out doing outreach uh, at the Fourth of July, you know what we also were doing? We we're also serving the body of Christ. We were having guys get up and do their testimony. We're growing men, teaching them to get. You know, guys that are bold extroverts. When you say, "Okay, now it's your turn. Let's get up and preach," they're kind of like, "Me? Yeah, you, man." Make it happen. You could just feel them pressing into that spiritual wall, you know, and then they did it. Great job. One guy got up. After he got done, the whole crowd was clapping because of his testimony. And that was so sweet. You know what? We just built the body that day. We just built the body of Christ. So if no one got saved at the park, you know what? One of our members got built up and grew that night. So praise God. That's what it's all about. And, uh, and so Paul was doing, he was a prisoner for Christ's sake, but that was also because he was wanting to serve the church and please the Lord Jesus Christ in that regard as well. And so um, we should de- definitely uh, not be the exception in the body of Christ, but the rule as far as those that would you know, give up their own liberty for the sake of the body of Christ. We should be like Paul. We should be like Christ. And that shouldn't be like, oh, wow, how incredible. These people are sacrificial in their living. That's really what the norm ought to be, frankly. That should be the standard. Um, and it, you know what? Sadly, it's really not, especially oftentimes in America. Um, but, but so let's humble ourselves tonight before the Lord. I want to read this text, uh, just the first 12 verses. Then we're going to break it down in the time I have remaining, and then we'll be done and pick it back up next time. So Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, you Gentiles. I like the way he says that. For you Gentiles. Um, I don't think he had that tone. Um, if, if you had heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it, now, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Heavenly Father, I pray this evening as we look into this text that you... Uh, illuminate it, Lord. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of the New Testament, this New Testament of grace, 
this epistle to the Ephesians. Lord, they were Romans uh, with a Greek culture, very much like our culture today, an affluent culture, an educated culture, but also a superstitious culture, uh, and, and in many respects, the people that were ignorant of the truth of God's word. Lord, I pray, God, that we would glean things today that would encourage us in the word of God in our growth, and, and the body of Christ would grow even tonight, as we just mentioned was happening when we went out. Lord, may all that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord, for being a humble servant. And Lord, we're so thankful that Jesus is now exalted at the right hand of the Father. We pray a blessing now in the reading and the hearing of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the revelation to the body of Christ. So point A there you got on the screen, the revelation of uh, alternate identity. Alternate identity. What's that? Well, again, it's very fitting for the day in which we live because people are all about that. Uh, I mean, people can't figure out what gender they are. So, I mean, it's a great time to talk about alternate identities. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm really talking about what we already mentioned, that Paul's spiritual authority was that of an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God in verse 1 of chapter 1. But now uh, we see that he is uh, this prisoner. So Paul's earthly reality was that of a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul uses this, uh, this title twice more in his epistle uh, to, the, uh, to Philemon. Uh, he was in, when he was imprisoned in Rome, he twice said that he was a, a prisoner. And Paul is revealing uh, his cause. And I like where he says, for this, uh, for, for this cause, for this cause. Today, everybody wants to be identified with a cause. And boy, I mean, and if you're with the wrong cause, you're in trouble. So Paul says, for this cause, I'm a prisoner. So guess what? Paul was in trouble. <laughs> he was identified with a cause that put him in trouble. He was a prisoner. So what is his cause? I'm glad you asked. It's revealed, actually, in the previous chapter. You would know that since it starts off with for this cause. So let's just back up to the last part of the chapter 2. If you've got your Bible there, look at verse 19. He says, Now therefore uh, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. I'll have more to say about the household of God in chapter 4, but um, uh, this, this, this was a revelation, which we're going to be talking about tonight, that, that, that the G Gentiles who we see who were quickened, right, and were once dead in trespassing sins, were, were once, you know, wicked, like we've all had our conversation in this world, are now, not only are they, you know, kind of allowed in, now they are having access, uh, they are in the household of faith. And uh, they were foreigners, they were fellow citizens, citizens, but now they are in the household of God, and they have this incredible inheritance. And, and it doesn't stop there, verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So they're in the building project. In, in, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So, I mean, he's just busting out all this awesome promise of these Gentiles, saying, man, you're in. You're in. Incredible. You are on top of the, the you are in the foundation. You're a living organism. We're working through you. For this cause, I, Paul, am a prisoner. Because God's doing a work in the church, I'm a prisoner. I'm here, to, I'm, I'm here to serve the Lord. Now, he's not like saying that begrudgingly. If you just read verse 1 and he says, For you Gentiles, you could just see him with his hands on his hips, you know. For you Gentiles, I'm a prisoner. But we know that's not what he's, his attitude because when you get to verse 9, uh, he says, man, or in verse 8, he says, I'm the least of the saints. And, 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 the, and, this, and so he says, is this grace given unto that I should, should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? He's like, man, I, I don't deserve this opportunity to be a prisoner for Christ, but I got it. He's excited to serve Christ as a prisoner. Man, what a great example that is. 
And so, you know, I probably had that verse up on the screen and don't know it. I didn't. Okay. So, I'm still not there yet. So, uh, or am I? Yeah, I'm to that point. So, uh, yeah, and I'm to that point. Okay, I'm moving on. So, so bodybuilding was Paul's was was Paul's cause. What was his? Cause? He was a bodybuilder. You know, I want to pump you up. So uh, that's really old. He was willing to go to jail for Jesus because he understood the value of you Gentiles. So when he says you Gentiles, it's not like he's like blaming them for him being a prisoner. He's actually he's really saying he's going from I'm the apostle Paul, but I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles because you're that important. You're somebody in the kingdom of God economy. Which was absolutely, you know, that's what, like, currently, that's a lot of the reason. There's a lot of disenfranchised people in this world of all races. But, of course, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter group, that organization was willing to draw out a lot of African Americans. Why? Because they feel like they don't count. And they do count. They count to Christ. And so every soul counts to Christ. And, and of course, uh, but there's a reason there's many were susceptible um, to being manipulated as well by a Marxist organization, which I don't back up on that statement either. So at any rate, moving on, I'm not going to get political, but that's a fact. People need to understand their value, uh, not to political organizations. So if you're a white guy, right, and you're a Republican, I would say the same thing to you. Don't, don't, don't deceive yourself. <laughs> you, you're looking for the same thing. It's just different validation. So make sure you get your validation in Christ. Uh, because that's the only place that, that really matters. Everyone else is going to use you, abuse you, manipulate you for their ends instead of Christ, who's only, he's going to actually, uh, in, the, in the process of you serving him, it's going to benefit you. And it's also going to keep you clear of finding those pit holes of, uh, of, uh, of things that are going to misrepresent who you really are as a Christian. So you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful out there. Uh, but folks are looking for identity. And Paul says, you know what? You're so valuable. You Gentiles are so valuable. I'm happy. You know, I'm the Apostle Paul, and I'm happy to be the prisoner for Christ for your sake because you're valuable. Um, and so bodybuilding was his cause, and he was willing to go to jail for Jesus because he understood the value of you Gentiles. They were not lesser than the Jews, and the Jews, by the way, were no better. And so Christ was uh, composing and growing and building a body, and Jesus uh, promised that he would build his church, right? Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so uh, Jesus is the one, by the way, in that text, building his church, not Peter. Peter's a chip off the old rock, but he's not the, he's not the first pope, by the way. Uh, so Jesus is the one who's doing the work of bodybuilding. So Paul's assisting the Lord in bodybuilding, and, uh, and, and he's doing whatever it takes because he knows this Gentile bride is special. Now, that's really, what I, that's really the context, too, of what chapter 3 is about. Paul's getting ready to download and remind them of information he's already downloaded, that how beautiful the bride of Christ is. The bride of Christ is special. It's not this Gentile church isn't like a, a second fiddle. She's actually <laughs> all that in a bag of chips. She's preferred uh, and uh, because, well, Israel rejected their Messiah. So he goes to the Gentiles. And, and then what do you know? All these, we'll get to this in a minute, the mysteries that were in the Old Testament that nobody could really discern, you know, whether it's Vashti, whether it's Ruth, whether it's uh, jo jo Joseph's wife, etc., are found in the body of Christ, that God all along had his eye on the bride, and that was a beautiful Gentile bride. So God has it worked, so he can work history however he wants. So Paul wanted the Gentiles that are being added to Christ's body to understand their value and their worth uh, 
is the price of his imprisonment. And ultimately, he's going to teach them what we learned last week, which is once you're in Christ, all, all things pass away, right? Old things pass away, all things are become new. So your identity is no longer that of a Gentile. That's, you're, you're a new creature in Christ. You're a son of God. You're a child of God. And so Paul wanted those Gentiles to get that, you know what, they're valuable. That's why in chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, Which, Wherefore I desire that you, fa- you faint not at my tribulations, um, which is for your glory. I think I already read that, yeah. Which is for your glory. I don't want you freaking out about me being a prisoner. Don't feel bad about that. Be thankful, because that's for your glory. That's what he's saying. You guys are so valuable, you know, and... Uh, and man, so he was happy to be in that situation because it was for their glory. So there's an incredible leadership principle revealed here in Paul's imprisonment. The leadership pyramid of the body of Christ, like I said, is turned upside down, and we're servants. And so, um, you know, Jesus Christ was a servant leader. I'm going to skip over that. But let me give you a few more verses regarding that because Paul said, here we go, in the 1 Corinthians 4, 6, Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me, Right, And then he says in, in chapter 11 in verse 1, uh, Paul says, Be followers of me, even as I am of Christ. So he wasn't afraid to ask folks to follow him. But then I like what he says in, in Philippians chapter 3, because uh, he, says, he says this again. Now, he was having trouble, by the way, with folks at Corinth following him. Because he, he well, for whatever reason, they just didn't want to submit to his authority. They were Greeks, and they're like, like Americans. So, uh, and so in Philippians 3, he throws this one in. Uh, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them, which walk even as you have us for an example. So he's like, hey, make sure don't just follow us, but follow those who act like us, and follow those guys that that are like us. If you can sample us and see what we're like, and you find other men following Christ like that, then follow them too. Right? He's making disciples, and of course he says it by not, by the way, he also about marking in, in Romans. It talks about marking those who don't. Right, who cause divisions and discord. We've got to mark those folks too. So for the next one and a half weeks, young people from the college and young adult ministry at Midtown are coming down to help assemble Bibles here at Sierra Le- for Sierra Leone. So why are they joining us? Why would they do that? Well, because we're all serving Christ together. That's why they're going to do it. So Jesus is our, he's our alpha male. You know, we all need someone to follow. So this is good news for the beta male. What about all those beta males out there, you know? In a fish tank, the beta male gets eaten. That's what happens. He gets eaten up, you know? But when you're following Christ, if you're like, man, I'm just an, I'm not really an alpha male. I can't be a leader. In the world system, you've got to be an alpha male to be a leader, um, you know, whatever. But in Christ's system, you know what you need to do? You need to follow Christ. Jesus is the alpha male, and you know, I know that because Revelation tells me he's the alpha and the omega. He is the ultimate male. And so in a world, by the way, that's dying for masculinity, it also helps to follow Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate alpha male. But all the alpha males got to understand, you can be alpha male all you want, but you got to follow Christ or your leadership's not going to be of any value. And so just a word to the wise there for all the alpha males and beta males out there, whatever that is. But uh, all, all people have an alternate identity. And, and that's what I started off talking about. All people have an alternate identity. And uh, what do you mean by that? I hope, I hope it's, it's holy, that's for sure. But all people can identify uh, with alternate identities because many have employment, right? And you serve at your job probably somewhere, and this is your identity there, you know? You're the, you're the boss, you're, you're the, the chief bottle washer, whatever your job is, that's what you are, and that's your identity. That's your vocation. you got a vocational identity. 
Um, and then we also have family identity, right? You're the son, you're the daughter, you're the dad, you're the mom, you're the sister, you're the brother in a family. In a church body, we have various identities, right? So you may have all these identities going on in your family and your vocation. And then we got many people that roll in here. Maybe they're a leader. They're a, they're a ministry head, right? So they have various alternate identities uh, in their life. What's most important in life is not your vocation, but your identification with Christ as Lord and Savior. One can be identified as a leader in the free world, right, and still be a child of the devil, John 8, 44. And you, can be, you can be a leader of the world and be a child of Satan and, uh, and spend eternity separated from God in hell. So um, we learn a valuable lesson from the lips of Jesus in Luke 16, 19 through 31. That's, anybody know what Luke 16, 19 through 31 is talking about? Anybody got that in their committed to memory? Nope. That's, that's right. Rich man and Lazarus. Very good. Good, 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 uh, good answers. So rich man and Lazarus, you know, and the rich man appeared to have everything going for him, didn't he? He was identified as a rich man. But in reality, he was dead, busted, broke, and in hell when he ended up dying. And so Lazarus, conversely, was sitting there begging for bread, right? Scraps off the table. Like a dog licking his sores. Well, not like a dog. The dogs were literally licking his sores. He was in bad, bad shape. But he ended up in Abraham's bosom. And so, um, so when the rich man appeared to have everything going for him in his station in life, uh, only to lift up his eyes when he had died, right? And he says, oh, man, I am, I'm paraphrasing. I'm in, I'm in trouble. Send somebody back, right? Send so- They'll listen if somebody raises from the, the dead. And, of course, uh, Abraham's like, hey, listen, they ain't going to listen. If they won't receive Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen though someone ra- raises from the dead, which is also a prophecy of the nation of Israel because they didn't believe their own writings. Yeah, Ron? Oh, he did. Very good. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So uh, what Ron's saying is that in uh, John 11, Jesus did raise a man from the dead. And, of course, Israel didn't come flocking in repentance. They killed him the next week. <laughs> so uh, there you go. And so it's so important to have, have your primary identity as a child of God. If you're becoming his child, if, if becoming his child is the first priority, right, which is really salvation, you become his child, but then continuing in that identity as a son of God and following that call, like Paul, to build the body of Christ. He knew what he was doing. He's like, I'm a prisoner because I'm in the bodybuilding. It doesn't matter your vocation as long as we prioritize our identity in Christ. And I can tell you from personal experience, in my personal life, the more I identified with Christ coming up in my 20s and 30s, the more it, 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 it just helped me in my, in my vocational life and everything else. The more I followed Christ, the more God just kept blessing. The day I said, you know what, I'm going to turn off the clock and I'm going to go home. I'm going to go out in the car, out in the driveway and pray. And I'm going to just go home because all this is going to burn. And because I could sit here all night working and it's never going to matter. It's all going to burn. So I'm going to put myself on a schedule and this is what I'm going to do. And you know what, the more, the less I cared, I cared, but the less I cared, it was like God would bless me. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. The more I prioritize Christ, now that doesn't mean you do a bad job and you don't care, but it means you, you have to put things in perspective and priority. And you're going to always be challenged in this world. I was challenged when I was like working in the work world perpetually about who are you going to serve, who are you going to serve. And so I'm just telling you from my own experience, um, man, it, it works. I remember I was finishing up, it was probably 98, and I'm finishing up 
Shepherd School. I'm moving my house. We bought a new house, nice house in Independence. And, and uh, the, the year I didn't go to the company Christmas party, I was employee of the year. I could have cared less. You know, living the vision. I'm like, I'm living the vision of trying to get out of this place. That's the vision I'm living. And the less I cared, no offense to the Fagan Company, great company to work for, but the less I prioritize that, it's like I couldn't lose. And God was just blessing. Literally, the day I gave my, I told uh, one of the vice presidents, said, Brian, you're going to have to do better on this particular aspect of looking at the books on your jobs, which is basically squeezing profits. And um, I was like, I'm sorry, but. Uh, because I got something for you. I got, I'm sorry, I got something for you. <laughs> I'm leaving. So uh, anyway, it was just crazy how God had all that worked out. But it's also confirmation. The, less, the, le- the more you prioritize Christ, let me restate that, the more you prioritize Christ, um, it doesn't mean you don't prioritize your responsibilities. It should make you more responsible, more conscientious in a lot of respects. But there's just an aspect of God's blessing. You know, it's really what, what God needs on our life. Uh, because you can't, you know, you just can't, can't beat Jesus. He's, he's our priority in life. And, uh, okay, so point A uh, is the, the revelation of alternative identity. Uh, let, me, let me ask you guys, what is your, what's some of your alternative identities? You're a business owner. And a daddy, that's a good one. Super draftsman. Up in the booth. Yeah, daughter, a mom, and a child of God. Right, all of us, if you think about it, you got all these variable identities. You know, you're, 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 you, you have different ways of being identified, but it's really, it makes you kind of decide how, where is the priority in your own heart? What is the, what is the identity that, that really, like father, Father's the most, probably the most important identity you can have, but there's only one that's more important. That's understanding what it is to be a son to the Father in heaven. You know, you get those two things in order, well, then everything else is going to fall into place. I got this annual plan I put together uh, for my life, and uh, it's pretty simple. And once I got it established, I can just kind of update it every year. Some of the priorities are fixed at the very top of it, and then the other things I work out and reprioritize, which right now is a really, with kids getting older and you go through seasons, so every so often you really got to shift things around. But my point of saying all of that is, is at that priority list, the first thing on my priority is being a son of God, right? And then a husband to my wife, because kids are going to go. And then after that, it's going to be a good father. You see those folks that put so much in their kids, and then their kids are gone, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, I forgot to date my wife. I forgot to honor my husband, whatever. And then their marriage is rocky. And so you got to, so God helps us put all of that in order. And people, you know, you'd be surprised being a pastor is like number five on my list. And uh, I spend a lot of time doing that, but that's not, I need that too, that document sometimes to help remind me of where my true identity is. Uh, being a pastor is what I'm called to do, but being a son is my first priority in identity. And all those other things just fall into place. You guys tracking with me? And that's really important. Uh, and so, uh, let's look at the next point, because I'm about out of time. And my administrative assistant was so correct, and she says, you are not going to get through your notes. You're going to get to page four. So, and I'm on page four right now. So, all right, so the revelation of uh, the dispensation. I, I do want to touch on this, and I think I can cover this quickly. If you have heard, he says in verse two, of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given unto or given to me, 
yeah, given me to you word, that English is a little different, which is given me to you word. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge uh, in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. There's a lot here, and I'm going to try to unpack as much of this as I can in the time we have. But uh, in verse 2 there, it says, If you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to uh, given me to you, word. Um, we're going to see here that that uh, defining the dispensation of the grace of God is important. The the word dispensation simply means stewardship. I think I, did I leave that in your notes, so I left that there so you can read it. You've got that there, so it really just means stewardship. Four times um, the word dispensation is translated in the New Testament as uh, steward. I gave you the references. Six times it's translated as steward. I mean, sorry, four times it's translated as dispensation. And uh, six times it's translated as steward. And you got those references there. But uh, let me just give you a good illustration that really helped my mind many, many years ago. Uh, when it comes to this issue of stewardship and a dispensation, when you think of a, a, a uh, I don't have one here, but when you think of, a, of a, a, a pitcher, a pitcher is a dispenser, right? And you fill it with something. And that pitcher is responsible to carry whatever's in it. That's what a steward is. That's what a dispensation. A dispensation includes a responsibility, and so uh, when and then you give it out. You pour it out. Right? A dispenser dispenses. It's carrying something and then it's giving something out. And so, and so when you think of a dispensation, uh, I like to use that analogy. An age has to do. An age has to do with time and can cross over multiple dispensations. Uh, but a dispensation is a revelation of how God dispenses his grace in time. Sometimes people get ages and dispensations confused. A dispensation is not an age, and an age is not a dispensation, so they are distinctly different, although they do cross over. The characteristics of a dispensation are as follows. Number one, there's a responsibility. Um, There's a steward. I think I've got that up here on the screen for you. So I've covered that. I covered that. Yeah, there's a responsibility. There's a steward. There's a failure because we're human, and then there's a judgment, okay? And so Paul is revealing to the Gentiles and the Jews the dispensation of the grace of God. It's the sixth of seven dispensations we find in the Scripture. The seven dispensations, which we teach in D2, and then we have a whole class in HBI called Dispensational Theology, Premillennial, premillennial Dispensational Theology, to be precise, um, uh, so we go from very simple understanding of dispensations, the pitcher being poured out, full of grace, to really it's pretty heavy in regard to theology and regard and prophecy. But you can really look at the whole Bible in a dispensational way. And I mentioned there are seven dispensations. This is uh, this is a, a standard or a, a normal dispensational chart. Um, and you see that one I highlighted, which is also in your notes there, uh, is the. The, the age of grace. Now, Paul keeps talking about grace, the grace of God, which was given me to you, or this dispensation that we're in is, is uh, considered the dispensation of grace. The responsibility, um, of course, is upon those that uh, uh, receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Uh, the failure is uh, when people reject Christ. The judgment is the judgment seat of Christ for those that are saved. And then the steward, of course, is the apostle Paul. And he actually, uh, and that's a good place to talk about this. That's really what he is saying, which was given me to you, word. 
The Apostle Paul was given the information regarding the dispensation uh, of the church. Though God was already had already prepared before Paul was even saved um, everything that was necessary, and the church was already born. So you're like, well, how does that work? Well, the knowledge of what God wanted to do in the church was privy, was given to the Apostle Paul, but God still wasn't done with the Jews yet. Partially, uh, God could have done whatever he wanted and never mentioned the Gentile bride and fulfilled his promises to the Gentiles through the Old Testament promises already given to the nation of Israel if they indeed would have fulfilled it. So God had it fixed either way. But when they rejected Christ... Uh, Stephen rejected Christ, of course, or I mean, Stephen preached Christ and the Jews rejected Christ. At Paul's uh, behest, he was stoned. Stephen was stoned. Well, that was the third, that was it in Jerusalem. God was done with them in Jerusalem. Uh, and then we see uh, in Acts chapter 28, Paul was the deliverer of the message to the Jews in Rome. That's the uttermost parts of the earth. And they rejected it there. So the Jews rejected Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And ergo, the church was fully then at that point primarily, and I say primarily because Jews have always been getting saved since the first day till now, but primarily composed of Gentile uh, bride. That's why we're a Gentile bride. That information about the you know, what was new that the Jews had to work through, that Paul was given was what we just see here, the riches of Christ given to the Gentile bride. I mean, it was just like, if you were Jewish, it was just hard for them to get their head around that. How in the world is that possible? Well, it is possible through God's grace. So we see in verse 2, there's a delegating of the dispensation of grace, right? He says, it was given to me to you word. So when we talk about dispensing this grace, guess what? What God is doing is dispensing this grace to these Gentile believers. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he's talking about all that inheritance. But all this stuff that you get when you get saved, it's tremendous, it's more than, than you could... I mean, the Jews didn't have any assurance of salvation. Now, all of a sudden, your soul is sealed into the day of redemption. You've got, you're, you got an inheritance in light. You're not even talking about earthly dominion in the sense of conquering nations and all of that. Now you're talking about inheriting, sitting with Christ in his throne. I mean, what in the world? That is stuff that was just... to the Jews. Peter didn't get a hold of that. He needed to get with Paul and say, Now, Paul, what, what are you saying? And Paul would lay it all out. Now, he does make it clear, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He makes it clear in verse six that, that, uh, or in verse 5 that the apostles and prophets right, were also getting this. So it wasn't just Paul, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. That's why it was a mystery. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So those, of course, before the, before the word of God was compiled, they had prophets in the first century, and they had the apostles. And they were shaking hands with Paul, going, yep, Paul. We acknowledge you are an apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ. You go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Greek, or we'll go to the Jews. But yes, uh, this is a dispensation of grace that, that uh, we didn't see heretofore. But God is revealing it to us through the apostle Paul. But what's cool here is that Paul goes, oh yeah, by the way, it's to me, it's given to me to you word. The people who really get hold of it are in the Gentile bride. Isn't that crazy? That's cray-cray. That's nuts. So the delegating, the delegating the dispensation of grace of God is an amazing thing. So Paul is clear that the grace that has been given to him is to be dispensed in the Gentile church. So Paul's choice of words is very calculated. He established his introduction of Jesus' deity, that the Ephesians were saints with great blessing and inheritance, when in chapter 2 he reminds them that they were saved from who they were and saved to 
Christ in relation to, as he wraps up the chapter, verse 16, look at chapter 2 and verse 16, he says, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, bringing everyone together through Jesus Christ's literal body when he died on the cross to a glorious body that we will be, that will be revealed yet heretofore after the resurrection. Wow, that's some awesome stuff. And, uh, and so he reminds them how saved they really are and then, uh, then, and what it means to be part of the body of Christ. So then when he comes to chapter 3 and verse 1, and he calls them Gentiles, this is the broadest identification he can apply. He doesn't call them Asians. He doesn't call them Romans. He doesn't call them Greeks. He doesn't even call them Christians. He calls them Gentiles. And I believe God did that for a reason through the Apostle Paul, because he routinely called Gentiles Greeks, because he's, revealing to the, he's really referencing their mindset. But here he says Gentiles, and I think God did that on purpose because he's, God has always typified the church through Gentile women in the Old Testament. Uh, you have Joseph's wife in Egypt, you have Moses' wife, you have Boaz's wife, you have, uh, the, which is Ruth, the Moabitess, you have Solomon's wife, and even Vashti, who gets kicked off the throne, is a Gentile bride getting replaced by a Jewish, a Jewish bride. So all the types in the Old Testament are these Gentiles, not, not Asians, not Greeks, they're Gentiles in the broadest sense. From Africa, from the Middle East, from Asia, wherever they come from. God, God is very eclectic in his collection of Gentile brides for his, his promised seed in the Old Testament. So God will call all who will call upon his name from the Gentile peoples of the world. The broadest breakdown would be Adam's sinful race, right? Uh, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Uh, so the, that is that is it. But three people groups are found after the flood. So if you really got if you got to get people into races, right? Then you got to okay. So you got Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, but the Ephesians qualified as Roman citizens, um, many of them, uh, and they were Greek in culture and they were Asians by geography. But Paul calls them Gentiles because he's defining the primary composition of the body of Christ. Jews also compose the body of Christ, but are not the predominant. Um, a group of people because of the rejection of Christ. And he wrote Romans 9-11 through 11 to explain what God is going to do with their promises and what God still has in store for Israel and that remnant that will be restored. But that's not what we're talking about. Notice Paul says to you, word, and this dispensation is being carried by Paul, but being poured out into the Gentile body of Christ, which is why he's in prison. So he's revealing the mystery of the body of Christ. In Ephesians 3, 3 there, he says, How be it that by, by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. This isn't something you can't know. This is something I want you to know, which in a, other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is being now revealed. It was mysterious. It is a mystery. And I'm going to give it to you, is what Paul's saying. And so when we're defining a mystery, a New Testament mystery is not something we don't know, but they are things hidden that have been revealed to the church, which most of you have been in D2, and you probably already know that, which is a good thing to know. So when we're defining a mystery, we understand that a mystery is hidden truth, which is revealed through Scripture. In Romans 16, 25, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel... And the preaching of, of Jesus Christ according to the revelation, uh, <clears throat> according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept 
secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and, and, and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of everlasting God made known, known unto all nations for the obedience of faith. So Paul is saying that in the Old Testament, it, it is revealed, but nobody had seen it before, but now we're laying it out so all nations can get saved. So we have seven mysteries. And again, I just laid, I think I left this in your notes, didn't I? And I just wanted you to have those. Most of us have studied this in D2 or, or, Monday, or Wednesday night Bible study. And so, um, so, but we cover the seven mysteries here, the mystery of godliness, uh, which is Christ, the deity of Christ in essence. You see that in 1 Timothy 3, God in the flesh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Ephesians 1, 9, you have those references. The mystery of Christ in the church, Christ in the church, Ephesians 5, 32, we'll get to that in chapter 5. The mystery of Christ in you, well, really, we're already getting into that in chapter 2 and 3. Um, but the mystery of Christ in you, Colossians 1, 27, that wasn't, that was new. These are the things that were being revealed, the mystery, during this dispensation of grace. These mysteries are being unveiled upon not just the Jews. The Jews can't even see it. <laughs> it's being unveiled to the Gentiles. They're catching it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Praise God. The mystery of Israel's restoration. What's God going to do? Now, this is interesting to me. This one is really interesting. Because when you're in Romans 9 through 11, it's specifically talking about blindness in part has happened to who? Right, Israel, the Jews. But Revelation chapter 3 says blindness is happening to who? Well, see in church. You know what's interesting today since I've been a pastor? Increasingly, and the, the issue of understanding the simple mystery that I'm, just, I'm talking about here, this particular one about Israel's restoration is increasingly being just clouded away. People cannot theologically deal with it. They just, because of Reformed theology and other reasons, there's reasons, they're going back to the Dark Ages. They're going back to blindness. They're going away from the Philadelphian Age, going back to that old-time philosophy, which, by the way, is Greek-oriented, which gets you back to the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. But the more you go there, guess what? The less you can see, all of a sudden you need some ISAB that you might see. And they're confused. They're going blind. It's amazing. Okay, moving on. That's going to be preaching. All right, so the fifth one is uh, the mystery of the rapture, the catching away of the church, which is found in uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. That's also getting harder for people to see in the church. They're getting blind. Um, the sixth one is the mystery of iniquity. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> that's like in your face right now, and people are still blind to it, you know, whatever. And then the mystery of Babylon. It's getting increasingly antichrist around here, you know. And then the mystery of Babylon the Great. Um, a mother of harlots, right? So that's Revelation chapter 17, 5 through 7, and we know the end of that. All right, so those are the mysteries, the seven mysteries. I'm not going to teach on those, but when Paul's talking about the mystery uh, uh, or of the, the grace of God, the dispensation of the grace of God, and then the mysteries of God's grace, inside of that mystery of God's grace are these other mysteries, as we call them. These things are being revealed in the church age. So let me just uh, talk a little bit about describing um, a mystery, and then we're going to be done for tonight. So, uh, describing the mystery of the grace of God, most of us understand the mystery of the body of Christ today, but during the first century, it was hidden from even the apostles and prophets until Christ revealed it to Paul and then to the other apostles. Paul is saying here in Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, what he's saying is earth-shattering to both the Jews and the Gentiles at the time of Paul's public ministry. And the, minis the, the mystery was first made known to Paul by revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, after his conversion on the road to Damascus and before he appeared before the Jerusalem Council. 
You say, how do you know that? Well, I know that because, well, it's in the text. And that's not the text I need. Where am I at? Okay, there we go. No? Did I, miss? I think I'm missing some text, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm way... Sorry. So you guys will have to look this up because it's not on your text. So let me go back. In Galatians 2, um, yeah, there we are. So right after these dispensations, point, point. We're not to that point yet. That's number four. So we're stuck here for a while. So uh, in Galatians 2, 1 through 1 and 2, Paul gives the account of how, and you can just flip over Galatians, is the book before Ephesians. So in chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul gets into when he received that, that revelation. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus uh, uh, with me also. And I went up by revelation. There's that word, revelation. And communicate unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should have run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, uh, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out uh, our liberty, which uh, we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And then he drops down into verse, uh, 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 keeps going. He says, to whom... We give place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he had wrought effectually in Peter the apostleship of the circumcision, the same uh, was mighty in me toward the Gentiles, and when James, uh, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and that they unto the circumcision. Only that we would, uh, should remember uh, the poor, the same which also I was forward to do. Uh, but was, and then he gets into a, a bad situation with Peter. I'll get into that in a minute. So you see there in that text, Paul really lays out how this gospel and this mystery was revealed to the leadership in Jerusalem. And now it, it went from him to them, and, uh, and he was very certain about it. And then in chapter 2, there was some problems that came with Peter and uh, eating food. It says in, in chapter 2 and verse 11 of Galatians, it says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came uh, James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them, which are the circumcision, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also carried away with their dissimulation, which means their division. But when I saw that they uh, walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So Paul says, listen, guys, if, why are you asking the Gentiles to keep a law that you can't keep? Right? They're at liberty. So this issue of liberty was all, all over the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, of course, the Apostle Paul as well. So Paul had already written the, to the Ephesians as he had the Romans of this mystery. So he is repeating, repeating it so they understand its importance to the gospel of grace and their identity in Christ. So in Ephesians 3.5, Paul makes it clear that this mystery was not available in all ages past, but was revealed to him 
and then, of course, to the apostles and prophets there in Jerusalem. And so uh, it's clear that they understood the mystery of God's grace, though they struggled with it because of respect of persons, because of their tradition. So Paul had to say, guys, it doesn't matter. You know, you cannot do this to the Gentile church. Paul was protecting the liberty of the Gentile church. And so that's as far as I can get tonight because I'm out of time. I want to get to the next point, describing the impact of the mystery of the body of Christ. When we get back together, that's where we'll pick it up, and then we'll move on into the intercessory prayer, the last half of the chapter from verses uh, 13 to the end of the uh, chapter, verse 21, uh, uh, Ephesians 3.21, is an an intercessory prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church at Ephesus. Let me park the car there. Uh, is there any que- are there any questions? You guys, did anyone learn anything tonight? Okay, that's the main thing. I don't want you coming in here and going, I already knew all that, Brian. So I hope it's interesting to you. If you're online, I hope it's interesting to you. I'm teaching. I'm not preaching so much. I'm trying not to preach. So, um, you know, I'm supposed to be apt to teach. I do like to preach, though. So uh, at any rate, so uh, come back next time. Uh, and uh, next week I'm going to have someone else in for me, but uh, I'll be back the week after, and we'll continue on. And I'm kind of in a hurry, uh, not in a hurry, but I do want to make some, some tracks through here. So I uh, get this done, done so we can move on to our, our, the rest of our topics for the summer and then the uh, rest of the school year. All right, any questions tonight? So remember, VBS is coming up. Remember, we need workers, amen, right now for the, uh, to assimilate uh, collate Bible so they can get them bound. So 